As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. It's me, Greg O'Keefe, and I'm joined once again by the welcome return of Paddy Boyland, back from his thrilling holiday, travelling the world, um, <laughs> a little bit of stand-up paddleboarding in Bali, uh, sunbathing in Dubai. I think he's oh, been trying yeah. to track down that helicopter that regular listeners will know was uh, probably a Batman in it, trying yeah. to uh, troll us a few weeks before that. And uh, just very glad to have him back. Pad, how are you? I'm I'm good. I was just I was just thinking. Obviously, Everton have got a raft of of players away at the moment. So I was just thinking, what my return to podcast duties is like. I was going through the the squad. Could could you liken it to Hammers coming back? No, certainly not. Could you <laughs> could you could you compare it to Sheamus? No, certainly not that rousing a, a spirit. I don't think. Just going through all these all these figures, it might be like having say a Jared Branthwaite back in back in the squad. Um, and ready to go again if if needed from the uh, from the sidelines. But no, it wasn't wasn't quite the um, wasn't quite the barley um, experience, the, the paddle boarding <laughs> and ev- everything else. It was much more localized given the uh, the conditions mm. we're, we're in. Although I did manage to obviously venture to to Wembley on on Sunday for the women's FA Cup final. I'm sure sure we'll talk about that later. Kind of a good day out in the capital even though the result didn't quite go the way we would have wanted. Uh, quite. Um, and you wrote a really good piece on the back of that as well. Um, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Athletics still for just a pound a week. You can read pieces that, uh, like Sir Paddy did after the, uh, the FA Cup final on Sunday. My piece after the game against Newcastle, all our Everton articles and so much more, including ad-free podcasts. And um, you can also catch up with Paddy's piece from this morning, which is a really interesting read about just why Everton struggles so much without Richarlison. It's something we've spoken about a fair bit, sadly, in the last couple of games. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod and sign up for just a quid a week. Um, and that's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. And you can start from there. In the meantime, I'm afraid um, we haven't had the best of weeks. Probably Everton went into mourning from the journalist equivalent of Jared Branthwaite's absence and decided <laughs> to uh, pile the misery on for me. Yeah, <laughs> we had uh, we we had a difficult um, run of results, but certainly 
three games, the wheels feel a little bit like they're coming off now. We, we just the one point from the derby, obviously then Southampton and Newcastle. Um, I'm sure you, 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 you so well, you, you and I have spoken about the Newcastle game, so I'm mm. fortunate enough to have to have, uh, at least watch the highlights of that. I know you're at Wembley, but <laughs> um, it's difficult because afterwards Ancelotti was speaking about the little details. He, in fairness, yeah. he didn't really, um, he didn't really sort of just point to the injury problems, which are clearly massive. Um, although that that forced his hand with the tactics, some might say, regardless that he, he got it wrong, which seems a bit like heresy to say about the manager of his experience. But um, uh, something about that team and the, and the Christmas tree and the, the five mm. central midfields on the pitch left a sour taste. And if there's one thing you can't say for Ancelotti, I don't think he but is, is the type to make the same mistake frequently put it that way so I don't think he'll um, I think I can confidently say he won't probably be reprising that shape much more often but <laughs> let's, let's hope not <laughs> yeah let's hope not at least um, but he spoke about the little details which is something that, that I guess is people repeating errors and you know we saw again defensive lapses players switching off we saw corners being floated in in added time when they should have been whipped in mm. we saw Yerimina you know dropping a bit of a clangor again and um it just feels like they're creeping back, doesn't it, Pat? Yeah, I think we talk about maybe the little things going wrong for Everton. And I don't think you can just boil it down to the Southampton and Newcastle games. I think this all basically started with the Merseyside derby yeah. and the re- repercussions <laughs> of the repercussions yeah. of that game. Because actually, I don't think Everton were very good in that game. But we, we ended up with Richarlison getting sent off late on. Get, picking up a three-game suspension and a couple of little issues within the game anyway, the, the, the kind of the issues on the, the left side of central midfield with Andre Gomez, who wasn't great. Just a few a few little things. The midfield didn't seem like it was functioning in, in quite the same way as it had done before the international break. And I still think we're feeling the repercussions from that game, even now. So you, you, you lose somebody like Richarlison and it, it, it's a huge blow. And I think it just it almost decreases your margin for error. And I guess that's where Carlo's right to talk about the little things going wrong. It just means that you have to be absolutely at it, absolutely faultless to get through without players of his quality and without James's quality, Luca Dean, Mason Holgate, those guys. The guys that are are on the pitch have to absolutely maximise their ability and the manager needs to do that himself. And I I flippantly on Twitter before the Newcastle game wrote Newcastle v Everton's assorted central midfielders when I saw the team sheet and that was effectively why are there so many why are there so many central midfielders in this starting lineup I guess Ancelotti was trying to compensate for the lack of Richarlison by doing something slightly different and by looking to get a little bit more control in the middle of the park and in playing Sigurdsson and, and Gomez and he's almost like kind of left attacking midfield and, and right attacking midfield roles. He was he was trying to funnel the ball quite regularly through the pitch to those guys and get it to get a regular supply to, to Calvert-Lewin in a different way. I just don't think it really worked that much. And then it's compounded by things like, for example, Yerry Mina being the wrong side of Ryan Fraser. I, th- I thought that was really naive defending actually from an international defender who in all honesty, probably should know better. That was his big error in the game. The rest of the game, he was all right, but but obviously that 
pressure told there and, and Everton went two goals down. And even you, you mentioned Gilfie Sigurdsson there flighting in across. You, Robin Olsen had come forward. Everton had a slight numerical advantage in there. And what, what you wanted to see was the, the typical kind of ball that Everton have thrived on since the start of the season. I mean, they're right up there. I think the top of the table for set-piece goals scored. That's because the delivery has been so good. You've had Hammers and Luca Dean providing excellent crosses from free kicks and corners. But you're also then, when the ball's put in at pace, you've got Keane, Calvert-Lewin, Mina, numerous other guys for Charleston when he's available, all adept at attacking the ball in the air. And to move away, it, it felt like, I don't know about you, but it felt like Everton moved away from a few f- principles against Newcastle. They, they struggled at South, against Southampton trying to replicate the same system and couldn't do it without Richarlison and played a Wobi. A Wobi's not the same player and it didn't quite work out. But here, I, I think Ancelotti almost tinkered a bit too much. And while you've got to maybe look at a different way to go about things without Richarlison, maybe we, we, we stop doing the things that Everton have done so well now um, for, for a, a little while uh, and started getting back into the sloppy sloppy habits of last season. It, it felt like a Marco Silva performance rather than a, a Carlo Ancelotti one. Um, one of the performances towards the end of, of Marco Silva's tenure. And obviously that's not a good thing given what, what happened to Marco Silva. So I, yeah, I, I thought it was a really frustrating afternoon. But I'll be honest, anyone that saw my tweet will know that I probably wasn't particularly surprised when I saw the starting lineups and, and decided to, to joke at that point about all Everton's central midfield options being on the pitch. Mm, I mean, it's, it is interesting that you, you draw the parallel with, you know, so some of the, the sort of dying embers of Silver's um, reign. And I, I do think it felt like that. And in some ways, mm. it's because the usual suspects who were problematic and, and, and letting Everton down back then were, were back in the frame, really, in, in some ways, in terms of, you know, Sigurdsson, has looked improved recently, but mm. unfortunately wasn't able to to get near to those sort of levels on Sunday. And again, we're talking about Andre Gomez. You know, in what in, in one sense, it wasn't the worst error that I've seen for, for for the penalty. And yes, it was a soft penalty, but I still think he switched. He's not alert enough to to who's by him. Whether he gets a shout, I said in my piece, whether anyone tells him that that. that Wilson's run across him and, and, and left um, John Joe Kenny. I'm not sure. And he probably could do with a shout because his eyes are on the ball and he's getting ready to try and clear it. But either way, he's got to take responsibility for his own awareness. And um, it's just such a soft one. And you could tell from the frustration afterwards from Ancelotti, look, rightly or wrongly, just wanted to go in there and stay in the game um, to shoot ourselves in the foot, if you like. And then I agree with you again about about Mina. I'm really starting to, to worry about Gomez now. I'm just not sure. I know he started, he is ostensibly in the first 11 that did so well, but he was probably the, even then the one whose place was most in doubt. Yeah, well, we, we've spoken about this a few times, haven't we? And we, yeah. I, I think I said last but one podcast that if any position when everybody's fit is up for grabs in this Everton side, you'd argue it's that role on the left of midfield in a the, the central midfield in a 4-3-3. James, when he's fit, has to come back in. Richarlison obviously is a gimme when he's fit. Seamus Coleman, I think, is it, it, it showed in his absence how important Seamus Coleman still is to this Everton side. And I still think there's little debate to be had about whether 
Mason Holgate is given his central midfield berth back. I think he he adds an element of balance in defence that is much needed. So you, you kind of go right through the team and Luca Dean's a shoe-in, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's a shoe-in, Alan and Ducore are now bona fide starters too. It was always that role on the left side of midfield that was up for grabs. And we've seen Ancelotti chop and change, haven't we? We've seen yeah. Sigurdsson, Gomez. I don't think Gilfie Sigurdsson... Um, was undeserving actually of of getting back into the side, given first of all Gomez's performance in the derby, but also what we've seen from Gilfie himself. Certainly in the early Carabao Cup games and in um, some of the cameos off the bench, but neither of those guys I feel as yet have stamped their authority on proceedings for any length of time, not consistently. And maybe Gomez started quite well, but he's he's tailed off. Some would say alarmingly, and maybe I'd be inclined to agree. It just when he's when his passing is off, and it was off on Sunday. He was he was he was kind of misplacing really simple balls at times and putting it in into touch. When his passing's off, you, you kind of wonder what he's actually there to do within the side because he's not a ball winner. You've got Ducore and Alan for that. He's not really a creator as such. We all know that the main attacking threat in that sense is, is Hammers, probably Iwobi if Hammers is not around. And then you've got Luca Dean's threat from left back. He's not a creator, doesn't set up goals, doesn't score goals. And I'm never really one to just look at those numbers for central midfield, but I just don't, I don't think he's really standing out in any facet of play at the moment and looking a little bit leggy at times. So I, I think that's the one position moving forward where if somebody were to come in, and to put together a, a, a consistent run of two, three, four matches, four ninety minutes, where they're completely on it, they would make that berth their own. And I, I just wonder. I mean, John Philippe Gabamin obviously has had a, a very slow start to his time at Goodison, but is somebody like him with that extra mobility, the, the legs, the the ball winning capacity? Is somebody like him going to start to become more attractive? an option even by default as he works his way back to fitness given those issues on on the left of that midfielder I don't know it, it feels like it's up for grabs for me I, I don't know what you think no I think I think it is and again um, it, it definitely feels like Andrew um, sorry Anthony Gordon should finally get his chance I just think that what we're coming down to is as you said that without certain players when we're nowhere near the, the team mm-hmm. that's um, that started the season so well and, and crucially one of them is Richarlison isn't he you've been looking at that in your piece just tell us a little bit about what you found out looking at the numbers on a very basic level everybody knows that Everton are not the same team without Richarlison and that is borne out by the stats Everton have played seven games without Richarlison since he arrived at Goodison and Everton haven't won one of them so it, it, it shows you that it's a small sample size, but it shows you that there's some impact had when he's not on the pitch. And then when you dig a little deeper and you look at the reasons why, and, and again, this meets with the eye test, the stats meet with the eye test. It's They don't really have another goal scorer beyond Calvert-Lewin, mm. not consistently, and that's compounded when James Rodriguez isn't available. They don't have a goal scorer. 
Charleston obviously linked particularly well with Calvert-Lewin after their spell together up front last season. But he, he's, he's, he's versatile, Richarlison. He can play in any of those forward three roles and he does them all equally well, I would argue. He's a threat at the back post. He's good in the air, great finisher, one of Everton's best finishers. Adds an element of directness to the attack that I think they sorely miss without him. Whoever they bring in, whether it's Bernard, Iwobi, Anthony Gordon to a lesser extent, although he hasn't had a chance yet. None of those guys can replicate that strong running. That like like that goal, for example, against Crystal Palace last season, where effectively he picks up the ball close to the halfway line and dribbles half the pitch and puts the ball in. <laughs> aside from aside way, from yeah. it was an amazing, amazing goal. Richarlison in a in a nutshell for me. And would anybody bar Anthony Gordon even look to try to do that in an Everton shirt. I don't know. It's that aggression in and out of possession that they they lack so much and that extra goal scoring option. And look, we've only had two games without him, but his absence has been kind of keenly felt. Calvert-Lewin's the only one that scored in those games. He's the only one really, if we're being honest, that's looked like scoring. The connection between midfield and attack has looked a bit broken, partly in Richarlison's absence, but also because of, of James. And, and him not being available. And I think that just makes things a lot more difficult for Everton to, to navigate. They, they're without somebody who effectively has become an attacking talisman, who presses from the front, who sometimes is overly aggressive, as we saw in the derby, but he, he looks to win the ball high up the pitch and, and, and press from the front. When you add all that and you, you put it together in one player, you might be able to replace some elements with various different players. Bernard might press high and Anthony Gordon might dribble well and, and have a goal-scoring threat. Awobi might be a good player to link play between midfield and attack, but none of them can do every single thing that Richarlison does and, and pull it all together. So it's slightly pessimistic, but you almost wonder what would happen if Everton were without Richarlison for a longer period of time, not just three games, because they seriously, seriously miss him. And I don't know about you, I almost feel like I should get a kind of a, a calendar that allows me to tick off the date and t- until he's back on the pitch for mm-hmm. Everton, because it, it won't come soon enough. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another player will definitely be back um, in a bit different circumstances, maybe not quite so sort of uh, triumphantly, is Jordan Pickford. And we know he'll be back because Carl Ancelotti said before Sunday's game that he was, well, he certainly didn't say he was dropping him, although that's effectively what he did. He he said he was giving minutes to Robin Olsen um, and wanted to rotate his goalkeepers and that Jordan would be back in goal for the Manchester United game. It's something he repeated after the defeat at Newcastle when Olsen had played fantastically, I have to say, in my opinion, um, mm. which sounds counterintuitive, but you know, at times he kept us in the game, which I flinched saying that against Newcastle, but you know, <laughs> there was that, the, the really big save from Sam Maximan, that, you know, there were other good stops. Um, oh, the one from Longstaff. Yes, the, yeah, yeah. Was that was that in the second half? That was probably Just, better than the maximum save, actually. Yeah, that's the one from the, in the second half. Yeah, even better, even better. So, I mean, two really big saves from him there. But I, I wondered. I mean, you 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 listened to that press conference and you've alluded to it there. Do, do you almost think that sends the wrong message? Because 
if I'm Robin Olsen, before I set foot on the pitch and I'm hearing my manager effectively say, whatever you do here, Jordan Pickford's going to be back in goal against Manchester United, then I think that's slightly dispiriting. Uh, I really do. And uh, like, uh, it's a slight, slightly leading question from me because I wouldn't want to be put in that situation myself and just think maybe the door should have been left a little bit more ajar mm. for, for Olsen to kind of walk through. Mm. No, I do. I, well, I do agree with you. And I, I do think it's odd. It's something that we're going to have to get used to. You know, he, he, he followed it up afterwards by saying, look, I, I've rotated goalkeepers before with the sort of feeling that that's that's what he, he intends to do. Um, and, you know, I looked at this for a piece I wrote about Olsen when he signed uh, just at the end of uh, end of the month. Uh, sorry, end of the summer transfer window, I should say. Um, and he has done it in, in different circumstances at Real Madrid, you know, when Casillas was coming towards the end of his, his, his career there when he was getting older and they'd signed Paulo Lopez. Lopez was playing most of La Liga games and Casillas was kind of began to become his Champions League slash Copa Real specialist. Um, uh, and he wasn't happy about it, Casillas, but that's how he decided to, uh, Ancelotti decided to phase, sort of phase in Lopez and phase out Casillas. It's a little mm. bit different. Um, yes, we're, we're, you know, thankfully we're in the League Cup and so there's, there's at least one more game there than the FA Cup, but I'm just not sure it's the same. And I, I'm not convinced that rotating keepers, especially when you take away the fluency that you need with your back four, and we've had enough change through the back four as it is, I, f- I don't think it's it's a surefire way to success uh, with Everton. What do you make of that one? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And maybe there's just an element here, and this is purely speculation on my part because we, we don't know the inner workings of Carlo Ancelotti's mind, but maybe there is an element of protecting Jordan Pickford. He's taken an awful lot of criticism in the media, in media circles. Mm. And that continued, if we're being honest, right up to the game against Newcastle. Newcastle's never an easy game for Jordan anyway. I don't think, even if he's in a good run of form, it's a game that gets him fired up like no other, given that he's a former Sunderland player, given that Newcastle are Sunderland's big rivals. So it, it, it seemed like a timely intervention from Ancelotti just to almost take him out of the firing line for a weekend. Obviously, there's still going to be talk about why he wasn't selected, but I almost wonder if you use the word, in the context of what was said afterwards, use the word rested as opposed to dropped. Here, Jordan Pickford, if if Olsen started against Manchester United, I think then you would see that there's kind of a definite swing towards Olsen as Everton's number one. But it seems like Ancelotti still has quite a bit of faith in Pickford. Certainly, if he comes back in, that would suggest that Ancelotti still likes the goalkeeper and wants wants him to be number one. Um, I, like like I say, I just I'm not sure that sends the right message because I think you've got to have the motivation of knowing that you you give your all, you put in good performances on the training ground and in games that you sh- you you can get to be number one. And I, I don't think that carrot was necessarily open for for Robin Olsen there. He, he impressed. He definitely impressed. Um, but it, it seems like it, it might not be enough to displace Pickford this weekend. If, if just expanding on the, the the stuff about resting Pickford and taking him out of the firing line, if that was indeed Ancelotti's reasoning, then I would agree with that, and I would go along with that part of the equation. I just, I think it'll have been a tough couple of weeks for for Pickford after that tackle on on Van Dijk. 
it was a bad tackle. We know it was a bad tackle. On another day, maybe it would have led, led to a red card. On another day, if the officials hadn't spotted it, maybe they would have taken retrospect, retrospective action. It's not his fault, by the way, that the officials did spot it and didn't take any action. He, he, he's not in control of those elements. All he's in control of is his own body and trying to make saves for Everton Football Club. But what we've seen since, we've seen so much scrutiny on him. And if this is a case of a manager protecting his player, taking him out of the firing line, then I think it's pretty savvy given what we've seen from um, the kind of the, the I hesitate calling it a pile on, but something approaching that after um, after the tackle on Van Dyke. Um, it's just gone on and on and on. Um, so hopefully we're, we're moving to something beyond that. Hopefully we're, we're getting to a point now where we can start to concentrate on again on what Jordan Pickford does on the pitch for Everton, whether he's in his own right, Everton's number one goalkeeper. I think that debate should be open. I, I think Robin Olsen showed positive signs. We'll need to see more of it from him when he gets his opportunity, but positive signs, brilliant reflex save from Longstaff. I love the save from Sam Maximan in the first half because I think it shows another aspect to his goalkeeping. He was quick off his line. He made himself really big. Not necessarily the stuff you would always see from from somebody like Jordan Pickford. He doesn't make himself particularly big as such, does he? So it's a different type of goalkeeper and maybe a, a different way of playing the game. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens on Saturday. If, if Ancelotti's words are to be taken at face value, then we'll see we'll see Pickford back, and hopefully there's slightly less of a glare on him than, than there was before. I think that would be welcome for everyone and certainly for Pickford himself. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. On a positive sense, there was certainly, because as you know from being there, a spotlight on Everton's really impressive uh, women's team at, at the weekend on Sunday. They, in the end, came up just short against Man, U, Man City. Sorry, got my new on the brain. Talk about that in a minute. <laughs> against City. Um, but they gave them a hell of a game. What did you make on that when you reflect on it? Is it, is it still signs of really tangible progress? Yeah, I, I think when everybody reflects on this, and I mean, I'm obviously only a journalist covering covering the team and, and their fortunes, but when everybody reflects on this, not just the final itself, but also the wider competition, the campaign, how they're doing in the Women's Super League so far this season, then I think you can see real tangible signs of growth. And that's, highlighted by appearing in the final, but then also pushing Manchester City, who are not only one of the best women's teams in this country, but also in the whole of Europe, have players that are, are up there with the world's best and who cherry-picked Everton's best player 
arguably in Chloe Kelly over the summer. Everton took them the distance. It, it finished 1-1 after 90 minutes. They could have won it. City had more chances in 90 minutes and went close themselves. But Valerie Govan, Everton striker, headed just wide at 1-1. A chance that she usually, I think it would be fair to say, gobbles up. And on a different day, this might have gone in a different direction. But they just... City have got a bigger squad. They've had more investment over an extended period of time. We're able to bring on real quality players, England internationals, Scotland internationals. They've strengthened with US... A internationals themselves, Sam Mewis, a midfield, absolutely fantastic. And the scorer of the first goal, Rose Lavelle, a, a really top player in, in her own right too. And that extra depth, coupled with a few injuries, Everton's skipper went off, Lucy Graham through injury. Valerie Govan was, was out on her feet after 70 or 80 minutes herself. She picked up a really bad knock in the first half and soldiered on. And Everton kept having to make these substitutions and they don't have quite the depth City did. And ultimately, I think that told. But there was immense pride there, I think, for, for the players themselves at what they'd done. Obviously, there's disappointment too, but pride in hindsight when the emotion wears off at, at what they've managed to achieve in a short space of time. But also like from Willie Kirk, the manager himself, and, and all those associated with the with the team. Um, you're seeing signs that Everton are on are on the up, and certainly we've covered that over the last year. It's been a pleasure to cover that over the last year in in our capacity as, as Everton reporters, moving to to Walton Hall Park, signing some top top players: Izzy Christiansen, the England international, Haley Rasso, who's been fantastic since she arrived in January from Portland, the Australian international, Sandy McKeever, who I wrote my match piece on. On Sunday, who was the player of the match, the official player of the match, who just made save after save after save in goal and top saves at that. Uh, there's a there's a momentum with this side that I don't think will be stopped by a defeat in extra time to a gifted and very well-furnished Manchester City team. Willie Kirk said after the game that he thinks that they will be back. He promises, in fact, that they will be back on that stage and to be honest, on the evidence of, of what I've seen over the last six months in particular, last couple of months in particular, I'd be inclined to agree. It's a side that looks like it's going places. And I think that's the message out of everything after the disappointment wears off. That's the message that should be taken from, from Sunday's FA Cup final. So overall, um, a positive sort of they're still progressing and it won't be the last time they're competing for uh, for silverware or, or, you know, under the spotlight for all the positive reasons. So it's uh, definitely one to... Continue, I think, being a source of pride for the club in general. Do keep your eyes on on, on the side the next couple of days as well. Uh, there's going to be a piece uh, which I'm working on at the moment. Paddy and I were discussing yesterday about Marwan Fellaini, <laughs> bit of a, a cult player during his time at the club, uh, and of course, then went on to play for our opponents on Saturday, United, um, where he still had a more than reasonable Premier League career. I think people, you know, sort of. Don't often name check him as, as one of the, the sort of top players of recent years, but he scored a lot of important goals for United, and and, and sort of you know, albeit through a turbulent period for them, he's he was he was pretty much an ever present until the end. Um, we we were waxing lyrical about some of his games, and one of them that you you mentioned was against United, wasn't it? Yeah, well that's it, and I guess this is a really good time to look at Marouane Fellaini's time not only with Everton, but in the Premier League. One of the things I'd say, one of the first things I'd say, I think he's actually 
his, his time has gone under the radar a little bit. He's, he's still a little bit un, unheralded, despite being a, a top Premier League midfielder for, for a number of years, versatile and scoring goals. Some of his skills were right up there with, with, with the best, I think, and maybe didn't always get the credit he deserved for that because he looked a little bit awkward because he was bony and leggy and he'd yeah. it, when he jumped up for headers, he'd inevitably inadvertently elbow somebody. But, I mean, we, we talk about Everton and Manchester United and the first game that sprung to my mind when you mentioned this piece um, to me earlier this week was the 1-0. It must have been in 2012, David Moyes' last season, where he played effectively as a centre-forward up against Michael Carrick as a makeshift centre-back. Scored the winning goal at the Gladys Street. The atmosphere, I was in the Gladys Street that night and as a fan, and the atmosphere that night was just phenomenal. It was a night game early in the season in August and a sense of real expectation around the place. Manchester uh, Manchester United had strengthened. I think they brought in Van Persie and and a few others and just had this star-studded lineup. But Everton went toe-to-toe in typical Moyes fashion. They went toe-to-toe and really, really troubled United throughout the game. Fellaini was man of the match by a country mile, bullied Michael Carrick, scored the winning goal, and did just about everything in that game. And I, I just, that, that was him for me in a nutshell. He was versatile. He was a goal threat. He was at the heart of most of Everton's big performances in that era. And you look back on his signing now, obviously he left for Manchester United for, I think it was about £28 million in the end. But Everton brought him in for less than 15 initially. So you almost double your money on the guy. Part of good Everton sides in that period and just, a, I think, a bit of a cult hero for a while, if you remember the kind of the, the Fellaini wigs that would appear <laughs> outside yeah. Goodison in, from the street sellers and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I look back pretty fondly, I have to say, on, on his time at Everton. I think he was, a, he was a good player for Everton. It was a good bit of business in the end. Um, and I definitely look back fondly on that night against Manchester United. It wasn't the only moment by any stretch. I'm sure you've got your own that you'd like to to mention, but just the atmosphere that night and the the emotions he conjured in Evertonians, I think it would, that that is one that will stick with me for quite a while, I think. No, definitely. Um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, d- a lot of cliches about him in terms of his size and f- for all that, how good he was with the ball at his feet. You know, the, the one that always gets lashed at big, big, tall players. But he really, he really was, you know, a, an immaculate footballer as well. And um, it was his work rate for the team. I don't know if anyone remembers a piece that I did with Landon Donovan. Uh, I think it was last. That would have been during the first lockdown when we were chatting about his time yeah. at Everton and he couldn't speak highly highly enough of, of Fellaini and was, was sort of waxing lyrical about his chest control which is another thing that like, we all remember the way he didn't sort of fire long balls up to him he'd bring the ball down and Everton would be a bit more expansive then as Moyes developed the side and they could play in the final third and they'd play some nice football with Pinar and yeah. Baines and Fellaini often being the sort of pivot between that and the ground he'd cover would be uh, would be sensational he was also off the pitch Quite an interesting character. I think the times I was around, quite quite unusual. <laughs> yeah. Not a not a sort of identical Premier League player. So definitely one uh, who I'm going to have fun talking to people about, and uh, hope you enjoy reading it later on in the week on the site. Um, I also hope that there's a win 
at last, I say at last, but you know, a, a much needed return to form for uh, the podcast to have a, a more cheery start next week. And um, <laughs> just thanks, <laughs> Paddy. Glad to have you back, and thanks for sticking with us in the meantime. Um, Cheers. We hope that Everton, as I say, can return to winning ways. And uh, yeah, do look out for Paddy's piece on Richarlison on the site today, and uh, plenty more. Thanks for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.